Namaste. Today I have an amazing guest with a whole lot to say. Uh, a dear friend, Sri Guru Murthy Ji. Namaste. I have known Guru Murthy Ji for a long time, followed him, followed his work, and all of you, most of you probably know about him. Uh, by profession, officially CA, but actually passionate uh, uh, discussion of uh, economy, uh, politics, culture, civilizations, many, many areas. Uh, he's a great economist, and I have no claim to being an expert in economics, but where we have a common interest is culture, and how culture plays a role in different aspects of life, including economics. So my discussion is going to focus on Indian culture, civilization, distinctiveness vis-a-vis -vis others like the West and how it, how it relates to economics, how the culture affects economics, how the economics affect culture. And uh, we'll talk about uh, uh, his perspective on what's distinct about an Indian model of economics, uh, his uh, diagnosis of what is right in the economy, what is wrong in the economy, what we ought to do now. So it's, uh, it's going to be a very interesting show full of good insights, which I can promise you. So let's start. Please. So, Guru Murthy Ji, as an observer and a scholar of Indian culture and also economics, how would you characterize sort of the distinct signature qualities of Indian economics that would you would say, okay, these are the important points? Actually, economics as a discipline, an independent, standalone discipline, is a much later development. Economics was one dimension of polity, one dimension of human life. But somewhere towards the end of the 19th century, sociological theorization developed in the West, uh, which tended to move towards acute and atomizing individualism. This theory was rooted in Max Weber's work and this is again rooted in Protestant Christianity. The tussle between the state and the church also led to a tussle between the church and the followers of the church through the Protestant movement. And Max Weber said that on an empirical study, he found that Protestant society which focused on the individual, not on the collective church, uh, it is able to throw up individual thinkers, it was able to throw up entrepreneurs. So he found on a comparative study of the Catholic and Protestant societies that the Protestant society surged forward like America, Canada, New Zealand, England, Australia. And comparatively, all the Catholic societies lagged behind, though there was virtually no other great difference between the two in terms of infrastructure or knowledge or whatever. So he theorized that Protestant Christianity, which promotes individualism and enterprise, is more in tune with modern capitalism. So in a capitalist society, Protestant societies will emerge or those with those characteristics will emerge as the winner. He extended it to say that this individualism will accentuate more and more and more. So the individualism 
as a movement uh, which evolved out of uh, Protestant Christianity, it uh, transcended sociology into economics via Max Weber. Max Weber uh, theorized it later as methodological individualism, though he did not use the words. But what he said was later on given a name, methodological individualism, that you deconstruct the society through an individual. And you can't identify an individual through the society. There is no collective identity. This is a long and short of the Western approach. When this movement picked up, the homo economicus theory that rationalism will define the movement of an individual. So this atomization process will be the process of rational approach to life. Yeah. Rationalism became the basis. Mm. And rational economic theory evolved out of it. Efficient market hypothesis, everything is rooted in this. Mm. So this became the foundation of what is known as the neoclassical eco economics. Mm. Where they said uh, everybody is ultimately a materialist individual. Mm. And this was assisted on the other side by the western movement of the polity and statecraft. Western polity originally rested on the divine right theory, mm. where the king is supposed to be the very uh, mirror reflection of God. Right. And so God had the world uh, dedicated to him. And the king had the uh, rule over people, resources, everything dedicated to him. Like in the Bible, mm. everything belongs to God. Here on the earth, everything belonged to the king. So he's a representative of God. In a sense. Representative, mirror reflection of God. So he had the divine right to do everything. In this, three things flew out. One, the king can do no wrong principle. Mm. Two, that everything belongs to the king. And so, he has only given you the right to temporary use. You can use it. Mm. But if he wants, he can resume it back. Mm. This is called the principle of eminent domain mm. in constitutional law. Mm. The third thing is, he had control over your life also. Only if he, uh, he has given you the lease of life. Mm. But if he wants, he can take the life back. These three principles mm. inform the constitutional law even today. Mm. So much so during the emergency, in India, mm. when Nirende argued that during the emergency there is no fundamental right to live. Oh boy, wow. Yes, when the judges asked, he said all fundamental rights are suspended because 14 high courts decided that the habeas corpus petition should be admitted because suddenly a man has disappeared from your family, the wife or the son says, come on, the state has to find out. So they allowed the habeas corpus petition. The Supreme Court, the matter went to the Supreme Court. So it is a right to life. Then the judges asked, do you, there is no right to life mm. during emergency. He said, it may shock your conscience, my lords. If a police inspector takes a pistol and shoots down somebody, your lordships have no other remedy than to look at it. My God. This rests on this principle. Yes. You know, prior to the British arrival in India, the principle of eminent domain was not applicable because the king had no right to take over others' property. 
it is in magna carta this was modified into you can pay, pay the compensation and take the property mm. but in india by paying compensation also you cannot take over another person's property this was the position that is why they had to enact the land acquisition act in india before mm. that kings could not take over with people's land mm. compulsorily they had to go through the panchayat and actually buy the land mm. this is settled privy council has said in india the king had no right to acquire the property compulsorily the question of right to life was a divine right mm. and so there was no question of anybody taking away your right to life so these are two different paradigms yes 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 very clear and so, very well stated very clearly stated so this constitutional paradigm and economic paradigm aligned and rested on the individual so how the democratic movement changed the divine right theory into what is known as social contract theory by hobbes mm. hobbes said we are basically an anarchic kind of people we cannot live together we will only kill each other so we need a leviathan state mm. to make us behave and so the state has all the powers all the rights so he secularized the divine right theory mm. into state into state yeah only one modification was brought about by locke he said that has to be an elected state mm. once you elect the state the state has the same power mm. it can declare emergency it can acquire over property it can so the character of the state did not change mm. it is only that the people give consent every 5 years to the state to do the thing which a divine right king could do mm. so this is one paradigm but in india this was not there so after the emergency because the king had to obey the king had to absolutely. follow his dharma absolutely yeah, because no one it. was absolute yes 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 so in india the following our way of looking at things after the emergency the government uh, said that the uh, that the state has no right to touch the life of an individual this is our original position why i am mentioning this is so max weber and the entire polity economics relationship between the state and the individual was shaped basically by the christian discipline so god as authoritarian absolute to king becoming the absolute to a state becoming the absolute especially democratically elected this is the ruler ruled relationship relationship which has been consistent quite different from ours correct so what happened christianity basically <laughs> destroyed all other relationship and substituted the church in place of everything so it had really prepared the ground for Ma- max weber's theorization actually even for karl marx because bertrand russell argues that this marxism is also christianity substituting state for church absolutely see substitution of state for the church was the function of the secular socialist movement yes now come to max weber so max weber said that uh, uh, unless a society conforms to this individualism it will never develop this he coupled it with a book on him religion of hinduism and buddhism mm. where he said two societies will never come up under modern capitalist conditions that is china and india because of buddhism and hinduism 
which believe in karma and rebirth, which has no role for an individual's uh, advancement. There is no individual initiative left. So there is no question of entrepreneurship developing. There is no question of market economy developing in these two societies. This became the basis of the Indian thinking hmm. that you have to demolish the Indian philosophy, way of life, in order to atomize your society, produce dominant individualism, conforming to the Weberian model or Marxian model, then only you can develop. This was the educational model in economics, in sociology, in politics, in public discourse. All these things were pushed. Don't think it was only a colonial moment. Hmm. In the year 1951, the United Nations issued a, a document, Measures for the Development of Underdeveloped Economies, in which they said, uh, you cannot develop just like that. Hmm. It calls for a lot of sacrifices. The sacrifice you have to make is, you have to give up your philosophy, you have to give up your way of life. You have to give up your caste, community, all relationships. This was a mandate given by the United Nations. This was rooted in a speech which Truman had delivered a year back, mm. exactly in the same terms. America has the responsibility to ensure that the world is prepared for development. And he suggested this model. And this was common to both communism and capitalism. Because between communism and capitalism, there is no great difference. There was also, uh, in the before nations started getting independence, there was also a whole movement to uh, de define the qualifications, the credentials you need to be to be ready for independence, and that had to be the concept of a state as per the Western model of a state. Okay. So nations had to prove that I am ready. I am capable of self-rule. By, because I'm, I'm getting into that, or I, either I qualify or I will be able to qualify. And you will decide whether I am qualified or not. That's correct. So this so whole idea of are you fit to rule, fitness to self-rule became an issue. So the idea of state, nation, people, the relationship between the two, all this became uh, defined by the Western notion of Divine right theory modified by social contract theory modified by democratically elected state. Mm. Otherwise, in substance, the idea of state remains the same. But what I am saying, I am more coming to economics. Right. In economics, they say, you, you rule in whatever manner you want to rule. But you say, no, you cannot develop unless you give up your philosophy in stated terms. Mm. This became common to both communism and capitalism because Karl Marx basically believed Unless the uh, capitalist boom takes place, wealth is built, there is a huge amount of exploitation takes place, there is no way communist revolution will come. But that communist revolution never came because all communist revolutions became social and not economic. Mm. So the full-blown capitalism is what Karl Marx wanted. Mm. And full-blown capitalism and communism rested on the same approach to life. There should be no prayer. All the past is wrong. Mm. So we should give up our philosophy, way of life, relationships. So we should pursue only happiness and money and uh, 
whatever in life it is purely body related a material life. world material world there is absolutely no difference between capitalism and communism on this mm. both have no place for religion they both have no place for spiritualism both have no, no place for morality other than financial morality mm. both have no place for social relationship both have no place even for human relationship like parents husband wife in fact communism went to the extent of saying women should be nationalized mm. yeah. there should be no husband women should be common property of everybody so this was a chaotic model which mm. they developed only thing is capitalism aligned to democracy so to that extent it was not as oppressive as communism because you could there was a way to release the pressure once in a while once in a while once in a while the people would say okay get out here okay. so except this difference there was no difference and the other i used to call it a property dispute i told you the other day <laughs> yes communism says it should be owned by the state capitalism says it should be owned by the individual the purpose for which it is to be put to use is the same yes this became the driving force between 1951 and 1989 when mm. commun and both interpreted it in their favor the same united nations formulation which was western anthropological modernity i mm. call it wam because in this people are to be contracted out of tradition mm. and made into pure contract based society individual contract will relate the individual sans relationship social contract will relate the individual to the state mm. there are only two types of contract mm. there is a collective contract there is an individual contract there is no relationship very very interesting so this went into economics through cap- both capitalism and communism in 1989 when communism collapsed and capitalism became uh, without alternative the only model for development mm. francis fukuyama even said that uh, we theorized how the world will have no conflicts here after because mm. all conflicting theories are over western uh, liberal democracy and market capitalism have won once and for all end of history end of history yeah and so everybody will have to join this uh, paradigm but within 3 years he changed his mind and wrote a book called the trust mm. where he recalled ml darkham who differed from both adam smith and uh, karl marx he said that uh, you have to have a relation based to society even a contract based economy to be efficient and he built a whole lot of argument within christendom because none of these people had any experience outside christendom hmm. neither mark karl marx yeah yeah they were just an internal dispute uh, among the christians their yeah. whole idea was defined by the internal forces operating within christianity yeah, it's fight within christianity in fact karl marx never came to india he never met any indian he hmm. never read any indian hmm. literature but he said indian society is a backward society even though in economic terms it is a good society he wrote couple of articles in 1853 in new york herald tribune which is now the international herald tribune in which he said the indian society is a very peculiar society it has some kind of a common uh, identity and uh, there are several kings and all that but everybody uh, this common infrastructure waterways roadways people move from one place to the other but the economy is rooted as small village republics 
and every village republic is self sufficient and they are able to produce and consume within themselves so the exploitation is less but for 2000 years this society hasn't changed at all so this society will never be prepared for revolution mm. and they are they are semi barbaric because they are worshiping monkeys and cow mm. and so the british are doing the right thing so you supported colonialism. colonialism yeah british are doing the right thing by demolishing this society and, and they're preparing them to prepare them for revolution yeah. he even quoted goethe mm. to say that uh, painful destruction but there is pleasure in this destruction mm. all the time saying is between colonialism and communism mm. there was no difference right between capitalism and communism there is no difference because all are moving towards a, a destination which is biblical right there is you are going absolutely. towards absolutely <laughs> yes the the communist utopia is similar to that yes yes, yes. and hegel yes hegel's idea of a perfect society similar to this is similar to yes. this in fact both capitalists and communists drew inspiration out of uh, hegel hegel yes now coming to that all this resulted in globalization but francis fukuyama warned that there is something wrong in this economics it is only 80% right there is a 20% missing element and that is culture hmm. he put it beautifully he wrote the first book in 1992 he wrote the second book in 1994 So the Economist magazine wrote on the second book. He wrote uh, the first book as end of history. The second book is end of economics. You see the <laughs> the threat right. they see in culture. Yeah. If you look at culture, it is end of economics. Mm. But Fukuyama is right because the subsequent developments prove that you cannot have one size fit all model for development. Mm. which is what communism said which is what capitalism said which is what karl marx said which is what max weber said because they all theorized only the christian society yes even within the christian society they could not bring it yeah. up and they tried to universalize it to all humans universalize it but the one thing in the west is they also know where they are going wrong but they will never admit they are going wrong so in the year 2005 there was a stunning development the g20 nations finance ministers and central uh, bank governors met and they issued a statement in beijing that this one size fit all model for development is not working each nation will have to work out its own model of development consistent with its specific characteristics i tell you nobody even noticed it mm-hmm. and such a But powerful that's a, that's forum a huge, as g20 yeah that's a huge statement to make yeah well before 2008 crisis mm. the western economists mm. institutions market operators knew that 2008 crisis mm. but the moment they mentioned it the crisis would be there on hand right so they wanted to postpone it as long as possible <laughs> then in 2008 the world bank which has been canvassing for the last 50 years for this one size fit all model for in fact they use the word one size fit all model it mm. won't work mm. world bank said we have learned the hard way in our working in the last several decades that this one size fit all model is not working for an institution like us to say it's very painful mm. but still we say it is not working mm. not a single article was written in india about this by any economist because we are too much invested in that model except me 
I only yeah. kept writing about it. I said the world is now giving up. The West is giving up that its model is the model for all. They are giving it up. Begin thinking about it. No one even noticed it. The 2008 crisis did shake up because this uh, World Bank statement was made in June 2008. In 2008, October, November, this crisis came. Even then, nobody noticed it. But in 2010, the United Nations said that what we have done is wrong. This one-size-fits-all model is no good. We should drop it. Completely reversing 1951 statement. Mm. In 2013, in the General Assembly debates of United Nations, you must see that debate. Country after country, saying what is our identity without our culture, without our traditions, without our value systems. So we cannot have an economic model or development or satisfaction or happiness without that being linked to our culture. Mm. Wonderful. So the United Nations, when it set the Millennium Goal, they said it is development with culture. This is still to inform the national debates anywhere in the world. Hmm. But this is the position. Hmm. To help me, you can go to the subscribe button on my YouTube and subscribe. We need more subscribers there. Secondly, I get lots of emails on people saying, how do we donate? How can we help you? Uh, you go to rajivmalhotra.com or you go to infinityfoundation.com and you can hit the donate button. If you are in a foreign country like in the US or somewhere, you can donate in dollars. There are different ways mentioned. If you want to donate in rupees, there is a column called uh, Infinity Foundation India and you click that and there are instructions on how you can donate in India.